Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. It's the only podcast where two brothers discuss a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers, Kevin Hines. I'm the other brother, Will Hines. Yes, and we are brothers. We live on opposite coasts of the country. We are comedians. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's the end of our list of... That's all you need to know. Yeah, that's our, that's all. That's who we are. We are in the middle of a season where we're interviewing guests. We're having guests on. We're talking to them about what it's like uh, to be a fan of comics, like what's their fan story. And then they are picking an issue of a comic that means something to them. And we're talking about that. Today's a special one. Yeah, today's special because we've been doing both comics professionals and also friends. This one's both. Yeah, this is our friend Jesse Falcon, who uh, we've known for many, many years through the UCB Theater in New York and L.A. And Jesse also... Uh, works at, uh, at for Marvel and worked for Toy Biz making toys, making Marvel toys. Yeah, and he's been super involved in just like either direct, directly designing toys or helping develop them or right. dealing with other companies that are making the toys since like, he, as he says in the interview we're about to have since 94 when he started interning for Toy yeah. Biz. Yeah, and I tell everyone he invented the Hulk hands. He's going to dispute that in this interview. I still am going to tell everyone he invented right. He says that's Hulk not hands. true, but you're going to keep saying that. Yeah, he says it and he's Seems pretty definitive, and why would he lie about that? <laughs> but I'm still going to tell everyone I know that I know the guy who invented, came up with the idea, made them by himself, and sold them, took them store to store and sold them. The <laughs> really... foam Hulk hands that made Hulk sounds when you punched people. <laughs> um, the issue that Jesse wanted to talk about is X-Men 128 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, 1979, a classic era of X-Men, maybe the classic era. Yeah, uh, it's the end of the Proteus arc, uh, and Proteus is like a body-hopping... Uh, Reality-mutating yeah. creature. Um, uh, and it's so a he's really... tough to beat, because he jumps from body to body, right? That's tough to defeat. Oh, that's... Yeah. Well, where is he? Where, who is this guy? Like, some of these supervillains I could take, you know? It's like, that's what I get think. one good lick in. Proteus I, is tougher. You know, Galactus, I know he's, like, big or whatever, but you give me some string, and I just have him walk down that straight, he trips, it's over. If he held still long enough, I can I can knock Galactus down. I could get yeah. a, if I got one good punch in. Mm-hmm. I bet he's got a glass jaw that Galactus. But uh, Proteus is rough. So and this yeah. is a, a really great issue where the X Men have to band together and beat up the big bad guy. And it was fun to talk to Jesse of why he picked this issue. It's a sweet little story, and yeah. um, it was interesting just to hear his passion for comics. As we say in the interview, this is a guy who reads tons of comics, watches tons of movies. He walks the walk as like a, as a, as an enthusiastic mm-hmm. fan of just like speculative fiction in all areas. This interview starts with us talking about his toy history, and we talk about him as a fan before that. Then we get into the comic, and then we get back into toys. It's all over the place. Um, but that's, uh, I'm just saying, like, uh, if you like the toy stuff, stick around because there's more of that at the end. <laughs> that's just fascinating to me. I have no. It's like a whole nother world. I was never a big toy collector or player but kevin i feel like you were you you loved action figures i loved action figures yeah i didn't love sets and uh and i don't uh, and they didn't exist when i was a kid but i don't love like the um collector's item ish action figures that are just like oh these like you sit them on your shelf or like statues and things mm-hmm. like that you want to love like action figures i had like a shoe box of action figures i kept under my bed for a long time and i would yeah. like make up stories with them constantly i still have my secret wars action figures and I don't have many other old action figures because they so, just mean so much to me. 
and I and I gave my son most of my old action figures, but I won't give him my Secret Wars ones. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I He's don't want these breaking. It. If he broke the leg off one of them, I would be heartbroken. <laughs> uh, so I have the ones that I'm like, when he breaks this, I won't care. Smart. It's good that you know four. yourself. He's, he's four. Yeah, he's just a regular human being. He's so. four and he breaks stuff and it's just like, get it together. Yeah. Last time I saw him, I was like, how's Long Division? He's like, what? I'm like, oh, this kid. Yeah. Now he knows Long Division. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really fun to talk to Jesse about toys. Toys goes right with, goes, goes right with comics, I think. Yeah. Uh, so this is a good interview. So so you downloaded a good episode. So, <laughs> good uh, decision. Here, here it goes. Enjoy it. Jesse Falcon. Jesse, thank you for joining us. Guys, it is an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for <laughs> asking me. Um, I've known you guys were doing this podcast for a long time, and uh, I'm, I can't tell you how delighted I am to be uh, asked to be part yeah. of it. I'm sure we said this in the intro, but we're friends with Jesse from the UCB Theater from, from honestly like 20 plus years ago or whatever yeah. for that oh, long. Yeah. So we've known him in his non- comics life for a long time and today is maybe the first time we're talking to you about like your professional life and your passion or your other passion well, yeah without, i so, mean kevin and i we were in a we were in a team together for some time yeah. we had professional pictures taken for about like a year year and a half i think yeah. we performed together pretty regularly it was a fun team it was a really good yeah, i had a blast was, so now jesse this is an embarrassing question what is your job or what mm. has it been or like what do you do yeah, so I'm a toy designer. It's the easiest thing for me to say. Uh, yeah. I think my specific title, and I, you know, I've worked for a bunch of different companies over the years, but technically it's really just one. It's, you know, um, I started working for a company called Toy Biz in 1994 after I had an internship at Marvel in uh, 1991. When I finished college, I went to New York City and I got this job. Uh, and I, about three or four years into that job, Toy Biz, the company I worked for, bought Marvel out of bankruptcy. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And uh, which is and, crazy to think about. Well, you know, they were they they had a great business plan. And their business plan was we're going to take these characters and we're going to license them to big movie studios. They're going to make tentpole summer films and we are going to merchandise against it. Yeah. Um, and we did that for several years and it was very successful until we realized, oh, you know, maybe we want to do this on our own. Um, and we started to make our own films and our own studio in 2007. And then the Disney Corporation came in and we were acquired in 2009. Um, and then they moved my team out to LA in 2012 because in Glendale, there's a huge facility that houses all of the different consumer products wings of Disney. So Pixar, now Lucasfilm, Marvel, uh, you know, Disney Classic, so on and so forth. Those are all, those are all one big hub over there. So it made sense for us to all be with those teams over there. When, when Disney bought Marvel, did they buy Toy Biz? Um, or did they buy Marvel from Toy Biz and that just included like you and your group? So, so the, what had happened, so Toy Biz acquired Marvel and Toy Biz was, a, was, was kind of a separate entity making toys of Marvel's intellectual property, but they, they were the owners of that intellectual property and right. Marvel was still publishing comics. Um, and then I would say about 2006, they re they readjusted. They said, you know what, we are not going to make toys anymore. We're going to license uh, the rights to make toys to other companies. And then, I, so my job changed from being a toy designer, like a hands-on toy designer, to overseeing all of these other toy companies like uh, Lego, Hasbro, Mattel, Funko. Um, you know, okay, looking, helping them develop Marvel into their lines of business. So Toy Biz, the toy developers don't exist anymore. Correct. 
though you guys still make lots of toys because you're still owner of these great characters. Yeah, and, and we're, you know, a lot of licensee holders, the people that do what we do, they don't, many of them come from a straight licensing background or a business background. Our team comes from a toy design and development background. So we, we, we get the business from the inside out. We were a very tiny, scrappy company when we were toy biz. So yeah. we had a lot of opinions. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, most of the time that works out great. Uh, and we have, honestly, we're, we're very lucky to work with the teams that we do at Hasbro and Lego. They are the, the, the best toy developers in the world. So uh, it all comes out great. Now, wait a minute. Let me cut to the chase. Did you yeah. make, did you invent Hulk hands? I did not. I okay. worked, I worked. So there was this, because this was scuttlebutt amongst our friend group. Yes, of course. It, we'd be like walking around the, the improv theater, be like, Jesse Falcon invented Hulk hands. We'd be like, Jesse Falcon? You know, uh, uh, Ben Schwartz introduced me to uh, Mike Judge, and he was like, hey, this guy invented Hulk hands. And I'm like, I'm not going to say no to Mike Judge. Because <laughs> that's just, I, how many conversations am I going to have with Mike right. Judge? But uh, you'll say, you'll say, you'll say no to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know us well enough to set I'll us see straight. You guys again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they actually, right at the top of the pandemic, Marvel did this big biography of the Hulk hands. Uh, and you can go look at that on marvel.com. Oh, wow. It, it's the history of the Hulk hands. Um, uh, it was an idea that- We came... should say what Hulk hands are for people yes, who don't course. know, right? Okay, Hulk sure. Hulk hands are, and I love the way that this is teed up uh, in this article. <laughs> they said, it was a proto-meme. Uh, Hulk... <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, they are giant foam- fists that you put your hands into that when you move them around there's a uh, there's a toggle switch in there that activates sound that makes that's that's the hulk's voice that is screaming and yelling that is my voice in those oh wow so uh that's cool yeah i mean i i, I do get to say that it's my voice in the hulk hands very cool um and we've been making hulk hands with hasbro now for as long as our relationship with Hasbro has been for over 10 years. So. Okay, so go back. There's this article. This uh, It's uh, the anniversary of Hulk hands. Yeah, so, I mean, if you want to check, it's actually really, it's a great it's a great article. Um, there, there's just a long history to it. We had for years been making this, uh, the, one of the biggest selling items that we ever had was the Spider-Man web shooter, which is essentially a canister of silly screen attached to your wrist. You press the button, silly string goes everywhere. You feel just like Spider-Man. But the experience is very short-lived, right? Because you yes. guys have both had canisters of silly string. They don't last very long. Um, <laughs> right. And when the 2003 Hulk movie was coming around, this was going to be a big deal for us. Um, this first this is the movie, Ang Lee Hulk movie. The Eric Bana Hulk movie, correct. Right, right. Um, and uh, we, we had made tons of Spider-Man stuff. We'd made Wolverine Claws for the X-Men movies that were already out. We're like, how are we going to do the same type of thing for Hulk? And we're like, Hulk hands. So Damon came up with this. One of the guys I work with, Damon Nee, who is a, 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 just a, a lovely person, uh, came up with this idea. Um, and then we made we made thing hands when the Fantastic <laughs> right. Four came out. We made thing feet. Those <laughs> did not do well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I gotta say, why not? Like I'm, you know, it's fun. It's funny that hands do well and feet do not. Yeah, not not in this particular case. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, they, it was it was a funny item because there was a big, I guess our lawyers looked at it and they were like, look, um, kids are going to put this on and they're going to punch each other in the face and it's a big liability. So they put a giant sticker over the hole that you have to stick your hand into that says, if you break this sticker, 
we are not liable. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, and this is right at the beginning of like, you know, like e-bombs world and like, you know, the, like the vi streaming video. So of course we'd go to work and on like a Tuesday, we'd all gather around at lunch and just watch these videos of these college kids like beating each other up in a dorm <laughs> with these uh, Hulk kids. Um, it was but very, great. it was petty times, fun, fun stuff. What's, um, what's, I guess this is kind of a broad open ended question, but like, I mean, what are, what are some of the great toys that you've worked on? You said like Toy Biz had a lot of opinions, right? Small scrappy company, but you know, they were able to be successful. You're saying, I think, is they were passionate about the product and they were like, we know what makes a good toy. So like, what, can you talk about that a little bit? What sure. makes a good toy? So a great, I think the best example, like, listen, we, we had, we had an incredible advantage uh, because a big part of toy development is getting the correct licenses. And we had this incredible advantage by being, you know, like owning Marvel, right? Yeah. Like being in this, uh, you know, ownership position and having these movies be very successful, you yeah. know, like, like, you know, you could, you could individually grade those movies on your own personal scale, but they all made money and kids all saw them. So they all wanted the toy. So from our perspective, they were all very successful. Right. Um, and um, I think the thing that uh, that's been, especially since the pandemic, I've seen so many people, there are these big collecting sites that do co collections of Lord of the Rings toys. And we didn't own that property. We went after it and we went after it against Hasbro and Mattel and Hasbro and Mattel had, you know, way more money than we yeah. did. But, but our pitch, the, the pitch that we designed to New Line was what they brought to the filmmakers and they brought to uh, Bob Shea, who was running New Line at the time. And they're like, this is the company we want to work with. And so that in and of itself, the fact that we won that license was huge. But then um, like actually working on the property was, yeah. was otherworldly for me. I got to go to New Zealand. I was there for a month oh, and a half, so, like wow. working like on at the paint factory where they were shooting in uh, Wellington, New Zealand, Peter Jackson had this old paint factory, which is just like a giant box of a, you know, structure where they could, it looked like a you know, movie studio. Yeah. Like literally one day I was going in, they had us in this little teeny tiny room and we brought these laser scanners from this company, General Giant, because part of our pitch was we're going to get the likenesses so um, lifelike that nobody's ever done this before because we're using a laser scanner to capture the likeness of every actor. And what that basically did was make a topographical map of every actor's face so that where the eyes and the nose and the mouth sat yeah. was completely exact to each actor. In the past, what would happen is we'd give a sculptor a bunch of pictures of an actor and they would, they would sculpt it, but it was kind of a caricature. You know, yes. you, you get, you exaggerate a proportion because you're talking about like, like the old star Wars action figures. It was like, it looks kind of vaguely like Mark Hamill, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, so that, that was a big part of it, but like being there for that time, like you, I went into, it put us in this, like we had basically what looked like a telepod from the fly. Um, you know, and you'd put the actor in and it would like go around and they're like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm not in this movie. Um, like one day I went, I went to work and like, uh, the parking lot was emptied and it was full of moss. And then I looked down and it like had made like a big, um, you know, like a, like a, like a swimming pool, like a low level swimming pool with these rubber tarps and in, inside this moss, I could see there were all these corpses. And I was like, and I'm like, oh, that, that's the scene, like afterwards when I saw the movie, that's the scene where Frodo, Sam and Gollum are running along the marshes. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and one of them gets pulled in. I'm like, that's just, they shot that in the parking lot. Yeah. But like, you know, they, like, it's great. Like it was such a cool 
you kind of so you really had like a geek's dream career like you have been behind the scenes of like some of the most beloved and uh and sort of special properties of like that geeks have loved from superheroes and lord of the rings yeah oh 100 and and uh in fact we you know we were working we're very excited the first x-men movie was coming together I i had to go up to toronto where they were shooting it it was a snowstorm so i had to stay for an extra day and the the guy who was the associate producer was like the guy who was walking me around was this guy named Kevin Feige, and um, <laughs> so I was there Never for an extra day. So he let me sit in the room, um, and it was uh, uh, David. I forget the writer's last name. Him, him, and uh, one of the other producers. And there, there was a big room of comic books, and they're just spitballing. They're rewriting the final scene between Professor X and uh, Magneto, where they make that they make they say uh, by any means necessary. Uh, which is kind of um, Malcolm you know, X shout out. Yeah, but yeah, because I, I I I didn't know at that point that there there were some connections between perceived connections between Professor X being um, Martin Luther King and, and Magneto being Malcolm X. Um, and then the other thing, and I have it around here some places. Um, he Kevin, we're walking around. He pulls out this big mahogany box. It's beautiful, and he opens it up. He's like, "Here, try these on." And they were the hero claws for Wolverine. And he took a pull right. Oh wow! Oh wow! Hero claws means like these are the ones we're going to use in the shooting. Be careful with these. This yeah, like... they're sharp. Like yeah. they'll, <laughs> they yeah. will send you to the hospital if you're not careful. David Hayter, I think, might be the David name. Hader. Yes, yeah, David Hayter, who was in Guyver, the Guyver movie. Did you guys ever see that movie? I've never seen never, Guyver. I don't know what you're saying. What is it? It's a manga. It's about a kid who gets this alien disc and it gets fused to his body. It's like a bioorganic Iron Man. Uh, and they made, they made the first movie. Steve Wang is this incredible practical special effects artist. And the first movie had like the J.J. Uh, Walker in it and Mark Hamill. Mm. And it wasn't as good. But the second movie, Guy for Dark Hero, is fantastic. It's like a <laughs> superhero movie of a superhero you've never heard of before. And David Ader is the hero he plays he's the actor in that movie hmm. uh who and then he ended up like writing x-men and he wrote Watchmen. um wow. became a very successful writer i remember seeing x the first x-men movie and uh that gave me faith that superhero movies could be done well yeah uh, like the mix of special effects and character stuff i was like ooh, the technology is here now you could do Spider-Man. You can do all these yeah. guys. Because it had been a while since Tim Burton's Batman. So there was like the early Christopher Reeve Superman, Tim Burton's yeah, Batman. And Batman's and then, a like, whole different thing because he doesn't have powers. Yeah. And then I remember thinking that too, that X-Men, the first one, the um, well, the Brian Singer directed film was like, oh, we might be into a new era. And we were. We were. Yeah, it was yeah, the 100%. beginning of that. So I think cool. the one that kicked that off for us, and this is the one I always have to remind people of that's a Marvel property, is our first film franchise, which is Blade. You know, and when yeah, Blade I always forget about Blade. Fire, yeah, everybody does. Uh, when that came out, I was like, "Oh, you can do that with any of these characters." Because I knew about Blade when I was a kid, but but mm-hmm. I didn't have Tomb of Dracula seventy one. I I wasn't like a Blade fanatic, right? You know, but but Blade showed up in the Spider Man animated Saturday morning kids show. You yeah. know, and like right. he, you know, he was like a character. He was enough of a. I, I, you know, like a character, like, you know, your moon Knights, or, you know, yeah. he wasn't as big as a punisher, but like, he had, he had a little buzz though. He had a little, is that what you're yeah, saying? He you, had, he was if a you read Marvel. If you read Marvel comics, you knew who blade was, but if yes. you didn't read comics, you probably didn't know who he was. Yes. But I, I felt like the genius of that movie was we're going to take this concept. It's going to, we're going to take one part kind of Hong Kong action. 
Um, it's going to be one part like super stylish, super stylistic, um, stylistic horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, uh, and then it's just, it's a, it, you know, hardcore us action movie. Um, and they got, they, 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 they did a great job. I mean, that movie, yeah. I watched it the other night and I'm like, cause it's on HBO max. I'm like, this is, this movie's great. I mean, the first <laughs> 12 minutes of that movie is incredible when, when like, you know, tour, um, Tracy Lords brings that guy into like the rave and he's like, Oh, well, what kind of play rave is this? And then they eat, they're going to eat him. Yeah. Uh, and then Blade comes and kicks ass. It's just awesome. Yeah. I probably haven't seen Blade since uh, I probably saw it around when three came out. If I saw, saw the first one, but I don't think I've seen any of them since around that time. It's funny, right? Uh, I do so forget it's been a long time. I forget that like Blade started it. It's funny because like certain movies that there's, a, you know, I also forget about the Edward Norton the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk uh, movie, like some of these yeah. movies, but was that wasn't that the first Marvel Studios movie, like yeah, Marvel Studios Marvel movie? No, it was correct. Iron Man was the first one, and oh, then okay. I think I think Hulk came out later that year. I think they were both out in two thousand. So. Yeah. Okay, because um, Tony Stark shows up in the uh, teaser, the the uh, the mid credit scene or whatever. Uh, yeah. It was like a, that was like, oh, what are, are they doing this? What a cool thing! I wonder if they'll ever do that again. <laughs> Um, Jesse, let's let's switch gears and just talk about you as a fan. Like I can already hear how much passion you have, and I'm sure that people listening can already tell. But Jesse's one of these guys who, like, in from in my perspective, seems to have seen and read everything that could possibly be related, one or two degrees removed, even from superheroes. And in fact, you used to like host a show at the UCB Theater that was like midnight Saturdays, where you would just show messed up like snippets of movies and stuff that you knew about um yeah there was a video nasty i did that with john flynn yeah um, that was a that was a fun show i you know and I, just like you have this like encyclopedia jesse's your kind of friend who's like oh have you ever seen this and he'll <laughs> hand you like a vhs and it's like something recorded off a berlin tv station that shows like two dogs dressed up as superman and then like yeah. you know and Super i don't Bob. even know that's like, a real show <laughs> there is a, there is a, you, you there's ever, a black the and white Superman. The two dog Superman is great. You got to see there, it. There is a real show. There was a real show called <laughs> Super Pup. That was a. It was they used the same sets as the TV show. The the, the um, George Reeves yeah. Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had they had uh, short people uh, uh-huh. in puppy costumes, uh-huh. uh, and there was like Blark Blent. You know, like, I mean, you know, that would turn into. Right. So Jesse's the kind of guy who knows about this stuff. Yeah. And so how did you become this fan? What's your, what's your story as a fan of super comics in particular, I guess. Comics in particular. Here's, here's my story. Um, I grew up in Flint, Michigan and we lived um, the first house that I remember living in. Uh, we lived right down the street from a grocery store and there had a spinner rack in the grocery store. And I think I was about, three or four um and when my, my i was like I, I showed interest in these comic books and my my mom i would do chores and whatever and save up and i'd get these things and the ones that my mom would would help me get were spider-man easy reader comics and you could tell because they had a logo of a really cool looking dude reading a comic book and there was a tie into a tv show that i used to watch called the electric company and on the electric company they'd have a segment where spider-man would show up yeah. and people would be talking and spider-man would respond with a word balloon you would respond in silence and you would and we'd encourage kids how to read that you know it's 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 like a sesame street type of program um yeah. 
so for years I was a, and, and then I, I had a couple friends that lived across the street and, you know, they had like older brothers who had comic collections and I would go and I'm like, wow, they've got comics for Godzilla. This, yeah. is, this is great. Yeah. You know, where, where did you find it? <laughs> like, so, um, and as, uh, and then we moved um, and then I went to a different kind of a different school system. And, and when I was in grade school, I was in third grade. Okay. And at this point, I really was a complete devotee of any kind of comic book I could get my hands on. Doesn't matter what company, where it came from. And I love to draw. I, 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 I really wanted to draw comics when I was when I was an adult. And there was another kid in class. His name was Sung Hung, mm-hmm. and we would often be challenged to draw characters at the same time. And then the kids would determine challenged by like your friends. Yeah, the friends would be like, "Which one of you two could draw the better version of Captain America?" and always always i would be like sun kick my butt those glistening muscles and the detail he's got all of the armor and i was just like oh this is great and so sung and i became buddies and um i brought a bunch of comics to school one day and he brought a bunch of comics and i was like what's this and he's like oh you don't know about x-men <laughs> and it was literally like that scene from every like after school special where he's like hey kid <laughs> You know, and I'm like, what is this? Oh, no. And I open it up and I start pouring through the pages and John Byrne, Terry Austin, the X-Men, Psychedelia, all of its, I mean, this particular, like, incredible violence. Like, oh, wait, there, now, there is incredible are you talking about the violence. comic that we're going to talk about in this episode, right? Yeah, yeah, X Men One Twenty Eight. That was yeah. So yeah, that's what we should say. That's what I'm sure we said it in the intro. But Jesse's picked X Men One Twenty Eight. Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin. This is classic X Men era. Yeah. That is, is the very... one that Song brought to you and showed you. He brought it in. He didn't know. Like we were just like looking at each other's books, and I picked this one up, and I was like, and I I was like I was that kid where I'm like, um, I'm gonna borrow this overnight, and then yeah. like so you know Never that is a very to. funny uh comic to be the one that hooks you because it's like uh oh you're reading comics you're like you're smoking pot you're you're having a good time and then someone brings you heroin you're like <laughs> this is real strong be careful <laughs> yeah this is a heck of a jump from whatever comics you were reading yeah. this is an intense yeah. issue so that that halloween i became obsessed with wolverine and that halloween i took wire cutters and i took um uh you know um steel hangers and i cut six of them and i took athletic tape and i taped them mm-hmm. to my it's actually dangerous oh my god like <laughs> my knees up so bad like it was terrible like i was bleeding by the time i came home like, what happened to you did you fall down i'm like no my claws <laughs> um, so uh yeah i i was you know uh i i was into it i was really and the thing that like i started making my own toys Young before I got this X Men 128, there was a TV show that I loved, a bunch of them, but they didn't have toys for. It. One of them was called Battle of the Planets. It was a Japanese anime. Oh yeah, I know Battle of yeah, the yeah, Planets. Yeah. Love Battle of the Planets. Transmute. Yeah, and so they had nothing. So I built the Fiery Phoenix, their ship, oh. out of balsa wood, and I painted it and I glued wow. it together. And I, I was, I had so much fun. Like the in the making of it was so fun to me that like. Can you name all the? Can you name the characters? I try to do this sometimes. There's like Mark. Sure. Princess, Mark, Jason, Princess, Tiny, Tiny Kiops. Yeah. That might be that might be it. I think, man, yeah. that was a trippy show. That was like I some Japanese it. anime show they like revoiced for American audiences. I've never seen the original. I've only seen the American version of that. The original is called Gotcha Man. They they made a live action movie of it the other 
a few years ago and I watch it and it was I, to me there's some darkness in that show like there's some weird darkness yeah, it was no, no super pup there's no super <laughs> pup that's for sure um <laughs> yes and I always felt like there, I think that's what I liked about it as a kid I could kind of sense like oh there's some real destruction going on in this yeah. or like it was so rare as a kid to get, to get in touch with anything that had like real darkness to it that you'd be drawn to it. I just like them shooting down to their vehicles. I think that's the only part I remember. And that's all as a kid, I was all like, Oh, I want them to get in that motorcycle. Like they would slide down to a thing and get on the motorcycle and shoot out the back or whatever. Yeah. It was a, it was an unfair system because you know, like, you know, uh, Jason got into a car at the front of it, you know, uh, princess had a kick-ass motorcycle. Keop had, a submersible tank it was weird and then uh mark got into a smaller plane and then um tiny stayed in the like kind of crippled ship because it looked like with all the parts all these parts yeah (laughs) it wasn't like yeah it's like you stay here you guard this we'll be back yeah thanks guys appreciate it yeah um okay so you made you loved making toys so much you made toys for this for this show that was really only had a small window i think of being shown in america a lot i think it, I mean, where I grew up, WKVD Channel 50, I think it ran, you know, either in the mornings or the afternoons. I mean, they, um, I can, I can access those memories and I have very, like, and they're very detailed and they're very easy for me to get to. And I've been living in them for a long time because I feel like it helps me be effective at my job. Um, yeah. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so you were a toy maker pretty young, just, uh, just, I, just out of passion. I've, I like to make stuff, you know, yeah. I was crap. I was like, I fell in love with an, a thing. And I was like, I want to see the thing in my hand. Like when we, we, I lived in England for six years when I was a kid and I became exposed to judge dread. So I took a, you know, three and three quarter inch GI Joe grunt figure and a Hoth hand solo action figure. And I made a judge dread. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, lots of, there was a lot of like surgery so, happening. <laughs> after you got obsessed with Wolverine. Yeah. You, at that point, you said you were reading whatever comic you get your hand on. 100%. And did that continue for a while, or did you end up becoming like a Marvel guy or a DC guy, or was it just like an omnivore, or it was just sort of like whatever? Yeah, I, I was primarily uh, reading Marvel stuff. And then when I went to England, um, I just remember going on like special trips to try to find comic books. Because How you, old were you when you were in England? You said six years, but... Uh, it was... Uh, I, I went over there when I was in fifth grade. I came back... Uh, okay like right before my freshman year in high school. It's like 10 Um, to 16, that, that area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's prime comic book. That's prime comic book reading time. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, I would get the British versions of the comic books, which were much larger new kind of newsprint, black and white, you know, they'd maybe have one or two color pages and a poster in the back. And then there would always be like a couple British things like integrated into those. So it was very, I had to go all the way to Liverpool um, I lived in Southport, so I had to take like a bus or a train to get to Liverpool to re- really get U.S. comics. Um, uh, but then when I came back, um, I was like, when I was a freshman, I was like, oh, I don't know. Am I into comics anymore? Maybe I'm growing out of them. Yeah. So I like for the, my whole freshman year. And I was also like reallocating to come back to the States and trying to figure out like, I, they, I knew all these kids, but I'm like, do I, I like, I've been gone for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Trying to find my way. And then, um, and then by the time my, um, sophomore year of high school i'm like oh i gotta go back and buy all those back issues so, like, <laughs> so for a couple of years i was like digging yeah. through old bins and finding stuff yeah, but, yeah. Uh, like when uh i definitely read batman when uh that was in high school when they killed robin 
uh, yeah. right. I definitely made that phone call. Death uh, in the family. <laughs> is that what that's called? Oh, yeah. What'd you What'd you vote? Oh, kill him. <laughs> Drake was an asshole. Uh, let's just, Jason let's, Todd. Jason Todd. Sorry, Jason Todd. Jason, yeah, yeah. my bad. Um, just know who you kill. That's uh, come on. Sorry. You, I, you killed I, the guy. I, I, I called him to kill Tim Drake. So <laughs> <laughs> you kept calling. Kill every Robin. <laughs> that was just in case our listeners don't know. I guess that was a that was a thing. I could call in to decide whether Robin lived or died, and the and the and the readers voted kill him. Right, and then yeah, they it died. A, it was a close vote. They said. Uh, it was a mini series. They like uh, it was a lonely place of dying. I think it was what it was called. Uh, no. Not yeah, a death in the family. The death in the family. Lonely place of dying was a, a follow up later on. Um, death in the family. Yeah, and like after issue three, there was like a phone number you called, <laughs> and they like had penciled pages for both. They were ready for either answer, and like now you can see those like penciled pages where like Jason Todd barely lives. Yeah. But uh, Jesse Falcon killed him. You're the deciding vote. People say. <laughs> so you got back into it. So you really only had a brief window of stepping away, and then you kind of fell. I, yeah, back I really it. did. I, I, um, you know, I think I, I probably am fairly obsessive. I don't know if you guys can see behind me, but those are all comic books. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're seeing two uh, pretty, um, two pretty big bookshelves. Like every, uh, just of every shape creating color like i don't really discriminate when i go over to a comic book store i'm like you know what what do you have new that's new and weird and then i'll buy all the stuff that i i want to buy whatever dc dark Horse. You, what, what are you, you loving about, what are you loving right now um and do you and so do you still it, read stuff it's it's a little bit different yeah, when oh, we're yeah, all yeah. Up. i'll be honest with you i am i am uh, i am not caught up on um some stuff because i've been because of covid Um, and I have just been so busy that I haven't gotten my reader situation sorted out Mm -hmm. that I can get the latest and greatest from Marvel. Um, but I know it's not going anywhere and I'll be able to go back and read it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What I have been reading, um, I've been getting a lot of, um, indie stuff I've been reading last night. I was tearing through this thing called Fonte Bukowski, um, which is, (laughs) we don't uh, know it. (laughs) Oh dude, it's great. It is like, uh, it's. This guy, he's a, he, honest to God, you guys should read this because it, you know, we all know Fonte Bukowski from the UCB. Like there's a guy who's like, why am I not a famous writer yet? Like, and he like goes to all uh-huh. these parties and hassles all of these like yeah. publishing executives and publicists. And uh, they're just like, oh, well, have you written anything? He's like, well, I'm thinking about writing poetry. Like you haven't written yeah. anything yet. Yeah. And he just hangs out. He's a bar fly. He's just a, like, there's really no redeeming qualities about this character, <laughs> but it's so I can't fucking stop laughing. At this. I think it's one of the funniest things I've read in a long time. I guess that answers uh, my question too. So you read like indie stuff, right? You're not just I like read, restricting to Marvel or DC. You're like, yeah. When I first moved to New York in '94, uh, I lived. I, I think both of you guys have been in my apartment. In New yeah. York at some point. yeah. And I used to live right next to. I think it was mid, not Midtown Comics. Um, Heroes. Was it Heroes World? I'm forgetting the name. It was on 33rd Forbidden Street. Planet? Or, no, oh, no, no. 33rd you're talking about Jim like, whatever's universe? Yeah, Jim Hanley's universe. Thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So I walked down to Jim Hanley's all the time. Of course, I would get stacks of Marvel books that we'd read. But I would look at, I would go, I would like just go through everything. And when I first got there, I started picking up things like Joe Matt's Peep Show, which is mm-hmm. like uh, autobiographical, um, you know, uh, you know, single guy in Toronto. And it was just, 
really he's obsessed out. with masturbating, I think, right? Yes. He's got, he's got like 100%. relationship problems and like yes. he can't stop jerking like, off. And that's a big plot point in the, in the Peep Show from what I recall. A hundred percent it is. And, you know. Um, but the uh, art is like cool and stylized. And it was like part of that Canadian cartoonist movement, like with um, Seth, right? Who did um, It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken. And Chester Brown Chester did. Brown. I yeah. never liked you and the yes. Playboy. Uh, there was like that little contingent of these little hipster indie guys out of, I don't know if it was Toronto, Montreal, or both, but do, doing yeah. these kind of autobiographical sad comics. They were all buddies because I felt like they all showed up in each other's books too. Um, yeah. um, the other thing that I've been reading that I'm obsessed with, um, there's a guy named Josh Simmons, uh, who is a writer illustrator who um, uh, I would say primarily... Uh, he does a lot of different things, but primarily his stuff is horror. Um, uh, and uh, it is, it's so fantastically bleak. Um, mm. And also when he, when he does funny stuff, it's like so beyond uh, the pill. He did a thing called the furry trap, uh, which is a collection of short stories. Um, one of the most horrifying things I've ever read is in that book. Um, it's great. Uh, mm. It's called demon wood. It is, it is, it is heartbreaking. Uh, how so, great it is that this guy, I mean, he's doing it all himself, coloring, writing, you know, the whole schmear. Uh, but he does a lot of things. There was, a, uh, I think there's another book of his called Black River. Manzukis was just texting me the other day that he was like, hey, this is your guy, right? Because yeah. Jason and I talk comics all the time. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, oh, be very careful with Black River because it's another <laughs> one of these books that like lures you in, think, you think it's one thing and then it just like, uh, just like. Much more cold. intense. Yeah, it's great. So, listeners, this is what it's like to talk to Jesse. You ask him, <laughs> hey, have you seen the new Avengers movie? Yeah. Oh, by the way, have you read the new <laughs> diary of um, a Russian czar that they dug up and he did a comic book in there about like, whatever. This is, this is what it's like. Um, okay. Yeah. So you still, you're still a media absorber. You still like to read yeah. the stuff that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, the other, the other thing that I'll just hit on this, cause I feel like this is, this is a funny, this is a funny thing. So I was going for years to Comic-Con, you know, for, for m multiple Comic-Cons for, for work. And, um, I would, I would just, I would know that there were different, uh, dealers of movies, you know, like you go, I think you guys have been to enough comic comms. You go to, there's that one big table of just like, you know, copied VHS tapes. Yeah. And I'm a big, I'm a big film fan. I'm a big foreign film fan. And mostly I'm a big Godzilla fan. So I would like, if I'd see something in hobby Japan, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, um, the fan, not a fancy, but like a kind of a, a hobbyists um, a magazine from Japan that we would go to the Japanese bookstore and they'd have like pictures of a new Godzilla movie. I'm like, I know that the next time I go to San Diego Comic-Con, somebody will probably have a pirated copy of this and I can get it there. Um, <laughs> like I would, I would go to these uh, video um, dealers so many times. I'm like, what do you have? That's like weird and funny and disturbing. And they're like, Oh, and like now <laughs> I've got a couple comic book stores and I'll walk in. They're like, Oh, I, I have something you might like. And <laughs> they see you coming. They'll point me towards the Josh Simmons yeah. section. So. Yeah. Oh, have you read the furry trap? We got to save this for Jesse. <laughs> Jesse's going to love the furry trap. I couldn't sleep for three nights. He'll love it. <laughs> Four complaints about that. Set it aside for Jesse. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about this uh, X-Men comic. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd never read this issue. I have a, a, a X-Men blank spot. I haven't read a ton of, even though it's like one of the formative, most important runs in Marvel comics history. 
the yeah. Claremont uh, burn uh, a run and the stuff just before and just after that. I haven't read a lot of it. I've got a, I've read a handful of issues here and there, and I definitely had not read this issue. Yeah, for whatever reason, Jesse, Kevin and I, when we were kids and we were reading comics together, uh, yeah, for X Men was not one of the ones we went deep on. I read more what than were, Kevin. What were the ones that you guys went deep? Spider Man, Fantastic yeah. Four. Uh, Did you do a lot the of Burn Batman. Fantastic Four? Oh yeah, that was what got us. That was, I think that I came when I when I came back to the states. John had just wrapped up on X Men and had just transitioned over to Fantastic Four, okay. and. So I, I like, I had just missed that. And I had just missed David Lee Roth Van Halen. So I was like, <laughs> I should just go back to England, you know? Uh, so, um, but, um, and then my brother went on to read every single thing that's come out in comics since then. But as he just said, <laughs> this, this sort of like crucial Canon era of superhero comics, the Claremont burn X-Men, ne- neither of us have read a ton, which we are sh- ashamed of Kevin. Am I right on the saying that? Yeah. It's one of those things. I'm like, I got to go back and read this you stuff go just back because it. it is, I think it is, other than like the Stan Lee, Kirby, Ditko stuff, the most important run of Marvel comics probably ever. It yeah, kept I, Marvel alive, right? It was the most popular comic at a company that was sort of struggling constantly, except for X-Men. I think the uh, numeric I heard the other day was that for 35 years, the biggest thing in comic books was X-Men and all of the related X titles. Yeah. And then after that, it was the rest of Marvel, inclusive of Spider-Man. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then it was DC and then everybody else. So and, uh, and this so run, long, and this run is what launched the X-Books to yes, that. It, this place. is what it's started. Claremont, that. It's Claremont Burn X-Men that was the big bang of this. I yeah. mean, it's crazy that the X-Men went from a comic that was like canceled and just put into reprints for a yes. while. And then like they're like spinning it off into new mutants, which is not even like a avengers west coast or spectacular spider-man it's like all new characters it's like that's a weird gussy thing but like can't lose with the x-men yeah uh is nuts to me like the 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 original spinoffs for the x-men book like x-factor and excalibur are weird choices for spinoffs and it all just worked yeah i i think that there's a great there's a great lesson in storytelling there that you know when when we when we end up watching what, what our filmmakers make of our, you know, our properties when they, when they go into the MCU, I think the one thing that's always been consistent is that they're never really doing the same thing twice, you know? And I think that that's, it, it would probably have been a lot easier to go, Oh, let's go, let's do West coast X-Men, you know, right. uh, but yeah. like to, to do a bunch of like kids who don't know what they're doing. And, you know, like th- that hasn't, that hadn't been done before, yeah. you know, um, in, in that way, yeah. and things like Excalibur, which is just, you know, magical and weird. You know, They're like, just like Claremont liked Captain Britain. So they just did the Captain Britain it. series with the X-Men guest starring basically. Uh, yeah. I mean like That's the Excalibur, easy X-Men right? spinoff would be uh, take half the X-Men team and just form it. You know, like, okay, Wolverine and rogue and Colossus are going over here and the other three are yeah. staying here or whatever. And they did new mutants, but yeah. So this run, this burn run that sort of precedes new mutants to me is like, this is what, like kind of built Marvel up uh, after the original, like uh, from, from where it was, it took it to the next level. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I feel like that, you know, that moment, you know, being attracted to the art, you know, you know, I, I remember when I was being, when I was a kid and, and this is, I think this is important to note. If I, if I saw a cover and I'm like, wow, that's really great art. And I open it up and the interior art didn't look as good as the cover. It was a different artist. I'm like, I'd be less inclined to buy it. 
you yeah. know, because I'm yeah. like, I just don't know if that's that story is going to make me feel the way yeah. I think it could make me mm-hmm. feel. And I had never seen artwork like John Burns before. Like he had this ability to yeah. make me feel like, like, like touch me through, you know, these pages with this, with this ability of his. And that was so powerful. You know, um, uh, I, I feel like when I was a little kid, I would, I knew who Jack Kirby was, but I didn't get it. I didn't get Jack Kirby until, you know, much later in life, I'm a huge yeah. Kirby fan, but John Byrne was the accessible, you know, gateway artist for me. That made that really drew me into loving these characters. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. There's something really interesting about the John Byrne art in this era. Because so Kevin and I, like we just said, we got into the John Byrne Fantastic Four stuff, which is yeah. excellent. Yeah. Not going to cast any aspersions on that run. But his art there looks different than it does here. I think the Terry Austin inks maybe, or just maybe it was just a phase John was going through. It's a bit softer. Like the, the FF stuff's a bit like more blocky and well, he inks and, himself there too. Yes. Right? Yeah. So like Terry gives him like, it's fluid. Yes. It's, 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 it's rounder and softer. And, and then also just the, the visual design of the X-Men characters. And that happened before Byrne got involved is excellent. Just That's like there's so many cool copper. colors yeah. on yeah. a page of an X-Men battle. You know, you read it's, Spider-Man battle, it's red and blue, and then whatever shade of green the villain is. I, I would say that this issue, I think, does not have a burn cover, right? This is, uh, uh, yeah. I think it's George Perez, who's also oh, yeah. an excellent artist. Oh, yeah. I, I never noticed that before, but you're um, right. Like George Perez is probably the other great artist of the time. Uh, so it's like you have a George Perez cover and John Byrne interior. You're not going to be upset opening that comic. But I'm the same way, like, if the cover's great and the inside's okay art, I'm like, uh, nah, no thanks. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a great series of things that happened. You know that you got Cockrum to redesign this stuff and that he kicked yeah. the book off, and then Byrne came over. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah right. I think you're, it's funny because I, I've I've always been a fan of John Byrne, and you're right, his style does change depending on who inks him. The other the other is, is another weird deep cut. I don't know if you guys ever looked at this comic together. It's worth doing, and maybe this will be a second episode with us. But uh, <laughs> Star Lord, number one, uh, the very first Star Lord comic book that was dr- written by Chris Claremont and drawn by um, uh, John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, and then several additional pages, all the artwork done by Terry Austin. Um, oh, really? Terry, Terry would do some of his own books. So I remember he worked with John Byrne. I think John wrote and Terry illustrated Indiana Jones uh, for Marvel. Uh, yes. which, was, which was a great, was a great, they did, like the first handful of issues, I think. Yeah, it was, I mean, those, that first handful of issues, I remember being like, re- I would read and reread. In fact, I got so obsessed with them that I, there was one picture, like an action shot of Indy whipping, you know, and I drew it like five feet on my wall when I lived <laughs> in England. Um, Cause I was oh, just wow. like, Oh, this is just, look, this would look great really big. Right 
I remember the covers. I don't remember those issues. I, I may or may not have ever read them, but the covers were just all those burn covers were so good. They're just like, oh, this is Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. So do we want to do we want to talk about the story here? Should we try to set up the story for our for our listeners of what this yeah, is? I think we can do a brief uh, recap of what happens. And I don't think we're going to get super. Jesse, into, do you want to try to do it or do you want us to do it? Do you want to say so, what's going on in this? Uh, let issue? me just let me. Yeah, let me just. It, it's real quick. So yeah. this particular issue is the end of a small arc, um, uh, a story arc that, that they have been do, working on for a couple issues. Um, and with all of these great John Byrne, Chris Claremont, Terry Austin ish, um, you know, stories, there are bits and pieces of things that they are kind of um, moving forward or backwards on the on the playing field that they built uh, from a story perspective um, that that kind of further along some things. So uh, we're wrapping this one. The, the, the A story is about a character named Proteus, who is a mutant who has the ability to jump from body to body and, and basically run through an individual's life force. So he's kind of like, um, you know, almost like a, an astral form, um, uh, not unlike the movie Life Force, uh, which I think uh, had come out in a similar time. I think this move, this comic may have predated it though. Um, and um, he is, I believe he's the son of Moira McTaggart, who is uh, a big character inside of the X-Men, uh, both then and now. Um, and, uh, you know, it, what's really great is because there are some, some really intense um, character dynamics that have happened in the previous issues um, and the team has come together and solidified and they really act as a team uh, in this, which was, you know, you had seen a bunch of uh, falling out of, uh, you know, team, like people squabbling. Wolverine got really messed up by Proteus in the previous issue and Cyclops basically beat him up and he was like, you need to get your shit together. And that helped Wolverine. And he was like, hey, thank you. It was like the first time you saw those characters like do something nice for each other. Um, yeah. uh, and I think, you know, so, there, so there's a lot of like almost body horror stuff that's happening because this guy is like, um, you know, disintegra slowly disintegrating as Proteus is investing his body. And there's a bunch of flashbacks um, <clears throat> about what happens with the story. Um, and, and the interesting power that Proteus has is, is the ability to modify reality. Which is very vague. It's big. It's a big power. <laughs> Super vague. And there's one point where he takes a storm and he takes glass and he crystallizes it around her. And Wolverine realizes she's gonna she's gonna die because she will she'll choke. She won't be able to breathe. She'll suffocate. Yeah. Cut her out, um, but do it in such a way that he doesn't injure her. Um, and um, the thing the, the the when I was a kid when I read this. Um, it really was um, the bottom of page 19 um, uh, at, the, at the top of page at the, page 15. Uh, we're realizing a little bit like what these characters weaknesses are. And Phoenix comes to uh, kind of do a face off with him. Um, and when uh, when she zaps him with his psychic power, it really hurts him. Yeah. Um, and then but he's able to somehow send it back to her. And she you know, like you almost see like an X-ray shot of her and Wolverine reacts um, like, and you see that, uh, he actually says, I, I love that lady, bub. Uh, that's what he <laughs> said. And he reaches across and, and there is the final panel in page 19 is what blew me away. Like he, he empties this guy's chest with those claws. And I'm like, I was like, you can do that in a comic it's, oh so, it's so violent looking. There's no blood, but it just feels oh. like there is. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it's a, a deep cut cloth yeah. flying. 
yeah. scream. Yeah, somehow they've minimized the gore yes. and maximized the violence that he's basically like seems to have removed a side of this guy's gut yeah. with his claws. Um, so with that, Proteus is, you know, he's running out of life force from this host body. Um, and then uh, the Summers brothers show up, Scott and Alex, and they give him uh, a double whammy. Uh, Scott, <laughs> I blast him from the side and uh, Alex zaps him and he literally turns his body into putty um, and they zap each other. And, you know, there's some nice, um, you know, extraneous thought bubbles about, well, well it's luckily that my body can synthesize all of that blast because he's my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what Kevin uh, and I would be like superheroes. We'd be immune to each other's blasts. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, and what they figure out is this guy's big weakness is metal because Wolverine really hurt him with those claws. So um, Colossus is the one uh, that has to take him out in the end. And he... It's nice uh, having a guy on the team who turns the metal. Yes, 100%. Um, so... And then Colossus takes him out and we got a happy Colossus, ending. The, yeah, the bad and, guy's and, gone. And it really is like... You know, they even have a little tag that says Finn, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finny. like it's, it's actually, it's a real, it's the, it's the button to, you know, almost, this is like the season finale uh, to, and, to this particular one. And this is well before stuff got collected. Um, Cause this feels like the end of a trade. Yeah. Um, even though like they didn't know that they were just sort of like, well, next issue we'll do another one. Uh, but it feels that it feels so it's a nice little bow on the end. It's also a cool issue. And having not read a ton of this era, like the team is so they work together so well here. Yeah. It's fun to see them just sort of like, this is them on, like I can see why this would hook you. Cause it's like, oh, this team is operating on all cylinders. Nothing is slowing yeah. these guys down. If, if it can be one, these are the guy they can do it. Yeah. There, yeah. There is like, there's like an, a, all like an incredible fighting squad feel here. Whenever I would like dip into the X-Men and what I loved about it was like, teen drama somebody's brokenhearted somebody's not talking to somebody somebody's jealous there's it you know there's like they've broken up into little clicks but then no. sometimes you'd pick up an x-men issue and they're just fighting like crazy and this is like a battle not a battle royale yeah. but like a supreme boss battle and you see this team that maybe this is the flip side of all the fighting they know each other so well like they really depend on each other. It's very, it's very warm to see the X Men like save each other's lives throughout this issue. It's like yeah, very, like it's like a war comic or something. Cyclops yeah. starts barking orders, and you're just like, "We got it." Yeah, Cyclops <laughs> has got a plan. Um, it's 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 fun when Wolverine is a team player. You're so used yeah. to him being the rebel, but. They, I guess they're so scared of Proteus, right? They've created this villain with this insane power so that they have to all like kind of line up. It's fun to see them be protective of each other. Yeah. Wolverine saves Storm. He's protective of Phoenix. There's also a big thing about how powerful Phoenix is getting. Yeah. Like there's a lot of description of her. She's just like more powerful than she expected. She's able to do more than she thought. That's kind of like this sort of, I don't know, boiling pot of water in the background of the story. Again, and that's, you know, that that brilliant part of, you know, uh, this, these two very, I had several strong-minded individuals, um, you know, not just, uh, you know, Claremont and, uh, and, and Byrne, you know, but I mean, we've got, uh, you know, Jim Shooter's EIC, Roger Stern's the editor, you know, like, like, yeah. so they, they, they plotted all this stuff out, but I think that they knew what they were going to be doing for a long time. But to your, to your point, 
Kevin. Like, I don't know. It would be interesting to know when in the year that this came out. Like, because I know that back then it would literally like it would run in a twelve month cycle, right? So they would they they would have, and I know they do this today, but I don't know if they did this back then. But there was something special that they would try to do around October because, um, and then there's of course free comic book day which I don't think happened back then. No. <laughs> um, there were different kind of, you know, in-store yeah. promotions that would, that would, you know, summon a particular big, either a kickoff of something or something wrapping up. Yeah. I know certain months did better than other months in general. So there might be something about like, Oh, uh, this is a weaker month. We need to launch something new to get people's eyes. On, or I don't know. Uh, something like that. Cause I know like that's when Spider-Man started going twice a month during the summers. Cause summers didn't sell as well. So they just wanted yeah. to like, sell twice as much like they had to get like their number one one of their number one comics to make up some of the difference yeah when i read this issue i was also just remembering how good chris claremont is as a like dialogue and scripter guy like a lot of times very verbose comics i think they're bad because somebody's got too many words going and if they were a better storyteller they would do it with fewer words claremont is verbose and i love it like every one of his sentences just the opening of this comic, we see Proteus holding Moira, who is his mother, and he's got this like evil expression on as he like warps the reality of Edinburgh, Scotland. And the opening uh, dialogue is a caption: "Ever, ever hear a city scream? <laughs> Not just That's the it. people, but the city itself. Things animate and inanimate, living That's and unliving, from cockroaches to cobblestones, from top of the highest skyscraper to the bottom of the lowest sub-basement. I mean, that's a terrific... I'm excited by that opening. I like Storm's uh, cape when she's flying. I was like, like, what a cool cape. I don't know if there were ever a a better design for a superhero costume. I mean, honestly, just Cockrum in general, I feel like... Yeah. Like every... Like Storm, uh, Phoenix, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, you know, Colossus. These are all... Those are all his costumes. What's great is that like you could take like three Lego bricks and stack them together and with the three primary colors of all those characters and put them together. And you'd be like, oh, that's the X-Men, you know, and you would just know <laughs> from those three primary colors from each of those characters, you know. Yeah. Um, also, I remember the, the lettering of X-Men comics, Tom or Zachowski, like they were the only comics that had that all caps block lettering. I feel like. You know, now I know now, you know, for a long time, lettering has been is being done by computers or whatever, but they were hand lettered back when we were kids reading these and the X-Men had their own lettering style. I knew an X-Men speech balloon from any other superhero book. That was always rad, I thought. I just I just the X-Men is just very impressive to me. It is sort of just like, oh, this book that no one cared about. um, So people could like so creators could be left alone and then they made a great book. And, it took uh, over. and that's just like, that's always what happens, right? It's always these books that like, eh, do whatever you want. We don't care about that book. Yeah. Those always become the best books I, if you get the yeah. right creator because they finally I, can do what they want. I think that to a degree that happened with like uh, Abnett and Lanning when they got on Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. It was like the third, you know, swing at the Guardians of the Galaxy. I loved the second one when I was in college, which had like uh, Vance Astro. It was kind of some of the primary original characters from the 60s. Um, but they had like, you know, that was where Taserface was introduced. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah. they, they, had, they had some fun stuff. Um, and you know, what's really funny too. Um, I'm, I'm just scroll. I have the digital, I have a digital, I have a PDF of this comic that I got the guys that worked to send this to me. And what's great is that it has all the ads. I don't know if you guys can see all the ads. No, we don't have the ads. Oh man. It's great. It just, it is, it's, this is as much a part of the memories sure. of it, you know, because like if we were watching, 
Star Wars together as it were first presented on television in the late 70s. We could see, you know, Patrick Swayze dancing through Burger King, you know, <laughs> uh, which is which is my, my buddy had that VHS tape in college and we would like watch it just look there's Patrick Swayze <laughs> he's, he's selling burgers um it's just really cool to see like uh, uh, all these crazy crazy ads um that should be that should be another thing you guys just look at look at a, you know a set yeah. of ads there's certain <laughs> like back covers when I see them people like will tweet like images from like uh back covers of comics and I'll be like oh yeah those but those back because like it'd be the same back cover on like half the issues you had and be like oh yeah i remember that atari game or whatever oh yeah this comic man by the end the x-men really just beat the heck out of proteus like yeah phoenix takes a shot wolverine rips his gut open havoc and cyclops double team like power beam him but then his body is rotting away this looks like this looks like uh, Cronenberg film. At, at it, a, it really is a body horror thing. Like by, yeah, by page 22, 23, like, like he really, he's frightening. You know, I mean, like he yeah. is absolutely like every modern zombie, you know, that yeah. you would see on Walking Dead, except he's worse because he's got like burning red eyes. Yeah. And then it also though feels like if they made one misstep, Proteus wins. Like they, they demolish him at the end, but it's like, because they don't let up. That's true. Every single one of them that lands a blow, he then fights back and kind of immobilizes them. So it requires another X-Men to step up to give the next blow. It's fun. Yeah. It's a great battle. It's a great battle issue. Kevin and I are way more experts on Spider-Man. In the early Steve Ditko Spider-Man issues, there's a couple times it'll be like a whole issue of setup of like just Aunt May getting sick and you know, the, you know, Flash Thompson harassing Peter or whatever. And then like J. Jonah Jameson giving him the business and New York's calling Spidey a coward. And then the next issue is all fighting. Just like Great. Spidey has like, he's had it. And he goes after the Green Goblin for a whole issue. And th- this issue that you had us read is like a payoff issue, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like the end of a lot of setup where we just get like cool fighting the whole time. I mean, that's probably why it hooked me, you know, because sure. it was just, it's really like the third act of a of a kick-ass action movie. Also, like, know? what year is this? Like, I can't, I'm trying to imagine what else is coming out at that time. I'm in third, I don't know what year this came, see, this book may have been in print for yeah. a bit before I got to it. Let me look at the indicia. Let's see, let me see what this year is. I just had, uh, this is 128. I switched 120. to the furry trap because I was trying to figure out what that was. <laughs> 1979. So, uh, 1979. Yeah, so like Marvel was inconsistent at that point, right? Like it wasn't like everything was working. Uh, I don't know. Like that's you know we're, this is before a lot of the stuff that kind of righted the ship. Shooter probably has not been in charge that long. Yeah, so. because I feel like some of the big moves that Shooter did was you know Venom, uh, Secret Wars. You know, uh, <clears throat> I feel like. Uh, they started to do a lot more licensing of books. So they built yeah. all the IP backgrounds for things like Transformers, G.I. Joe, ROM, the Space Knight, which is a toy that's advertised in this comic book, <laughs> um, which be- was an, a f- fantastic comic book when I was a kid. I loved ROM, the Space Knight. Really? Um, it was a lousy toy. Oh, God. <laughs> it was a god-awful toy. Steve uh, Ditko but- drew ROM. Yeah. Uh, this yeah, this is seventy nine. This is like when Marvel was surviving on like the Star Wars license primarily because like they got that license sort of reluctantly, and it was their number one seller for a while. Yeah, uh, and then X Men sort of takes over, and then you know like Spider Man gets better, and Avengers gets better, and of course you get Miller on Daredevil and Simonson on Thor, and then like everything's good. Yeah, all of a sudden, but 
I think it was at about that time that they had an opportunity to license DC as well. Like th there was a right. Mobile. There was that room. There were, I guess not a rumor. It's a real there, thing, right? Yeah. They, they they there was an offer and they just they passed on it. I'm 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 glad that happened because I think it would would have just been the end of DC. But um, and I those both of those companies are stronger with each other. Yeah. Uh, you know. Out there, yeah, they're so. better to have each other to push each other, right? A hundred percent. I mean, th that's just like you know uh, any any great uh, group of artisans who are you know constantly challenging the next to to up their game. What did you think of the Secret Wars action figures? As a kid, more than now, I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of... He's looking around the room. He might have them. No, I don't have them. I have these things. We just remade them, kind of. They were, yeah, they yeah. Were, I bought these. The Hasbro Pulse? Yes, yes. These yeah, guys I bought those. So I was showing I, an Iron Man figure to my brother. Yeah, I worked with Hasbro for about two years on this. This was, this was the, the concept was, what if we had a flux capacitor? And we went back into 1979 and we gave Kenner the toy rights for Marvel um, with a window into how big the brand would be, you know, 40 now, years in the future. Tell me what that means. Like, if, if that's your game plan for these figures, what do you mean? Kenner has the license to Marvel and you, you know, what are you going to do differently? What, what, what it, What's the, so no, what we, are you trying to recapture them, from the past? We make them as the, because Marvel never had a toy partner, like a really strong toy partner back then. We, we had Secret Wars, but I think Secret Wars was actually later in the 80s. Yes, uh, yes, it yes. Ran for, it ran for a couple Late of years. Late 80s. Yeah, it ran for a few years, but there was no TV show supporting right. it. You know, there was no like really bespoke Secret It was Wars hard to find those toys. Uh, I had to go to like dollar stores and and. I double trip. I was always hoping more would come out, but they only did like two series or whatever. Yeah. Um, they were, I loved them. Yeah, I did too. And um, and and these, you know, they're on the kind of like backing cards that you would see, like the original Star mm -hmm. Wars figures on that same. It's that same product formats. Um, so big, beautiful artwork on there. It's got a Kenner logo on it. Um, that that's that to me is like I was like th that's that's something that's become very popular. That kind of uh, uh, nostalgic throwback yeah. form mm -hmm. factor uh in, in the marketplace so i was like we should absolutely be doing that with uh with hasbro De definitely my um sorry uh definitely like my age for it like i liked those action figures a lot because they were the characters i loved but i didn't care that they didn't have the articulation or like the sculpting and they were just sort of like one mass sort of painted to look accurate i was like these they look good i don't know uh, yeah. uh and then like uh, and I don't play with toys anymore, obviously, but like I played the, with the hell out of those damn Secret Wars toys. Yeah. Uh, and when I see like the current toys that are like so accurate, and I'm like, oh, I would almost feel bad about touching these. <laughs> and when I didn't care about like shoving these guys in Play-Doh uh, yeah. and whatever, like every action figure I had had Play-Doh stuffed in their feet. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I, saw, I saw a picture the other day. Somebody had gone into his backyard um, that his mom still lived in and he, he was like this tree had grown up that it was a tree was next to the sandbox and there were like five star wars action figures like that the tree had like wedged into the tree but the tree had just grown around that it absorbed from the sandbox that's awesome wow. yeah. um, jesse when you're watching like movies and tv shows are you thinking about toys sometimes like you'll be watching like i don't know like stranger things or something and you're like oh the demon are gonna make a good toy or whatever it's like oh what would an 11 figurine be like is that is that part of your brain kind of going sometimes uh, you know, not really, because I right now we, we live in a world where everything's going to be a toy. 
You yeah. know, like like it really. There's they don't no, need you. They don't need you on that. Somebody's already um, on it. Yeah. Yeah, leagues of people. I mean, whether it's a Funko Pop, there's a great company in New Jersey called NECA that does incredible collectibles. In fact, uh, I think this week was Kurt Russell's 70th birthday and to celebrate his 70th birthday, they got the license for the thing and they made uh, McCready, the McCready action figure. I'm like, I, I need one of those. Uh, <laughs> I want to see him do the little blood test. <laughs> Every like five um, or six years, I have to rewatch that movie because it's just like, oh, it's so uh, perfect. Perfect. It, you know what? This Christmas went up to uh, Lake Tahoe great snowfall and uh my 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 friend cammy was with us and she loves tundra films she you know she like oh i like what characters are talking the tundra i'm like you mean like the thing you mean what like a particular thing? thing i know yeah yeah i know and i was like you mean like the thing and she's like what are you talking about like, oh, oh. that's so strange to have not seen the thing if she's into tundra films yeah i like movies be- where an alien comes down and befriends a child what do you think of et i've never heard of it oh well you're really gonna love this you're gonna this is really for you this might, this, you might enjoy this film <laughs> i also like reporters with glasses who fly around you like superman never heard of that well listen i got some things to show you that's great um, you should dig deeper into the things you like <laughs> uh it's so it's so fun. How about how about um? Yeah, I don't know, Jesse. It's so happy to see that you've that you've had this career that it seems like you were meant for it. it seems oh, like it really uh, like dovetails well with like your like your interests and stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it, it, I, <laughs> I got I got incredibly lucky. You know, like I got lucky to get the internship when I got it. Um, I, I got I really kind of came out to New York without having a like a, a very secure job in hand, and then I I got lucky that i got hired by toy biz when i did um and you know like the 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 time that i've been there the things that have happened to this company are insane you know they literally went from you know being in chapter 11 uh you know to like almost receivership and to like being marvel marvel brands of the world yeah yeah yeah, but also like you made toys when you were nine or whatever, so it isn't like you didn't come in with the skills. It was good timing, but also you were prime. Like if anyone was ready for that job, it's the guy that built his own. It built his own toys uh, at at nine or whatever. I, did you meet did you ever meet Stanley? Oh, many times. I interviewed him a couple times uh, at at, at, a, at different conventions because um, I I was the for many years I was the the MC at the Marvel booth. Um, you okay. know, they would have like costume contests or giveaways and like every, every day they would have a giveaway at SDCC and that they would, they'd ask me to do that and be, it would be a pleasure. Um, yeah. or, or like, um, <clears throat> the, the last time I can remember Adi Granoff, who is an incredibly talented artist who designed the very first Iron Man suit that went on film and designed the Black Panther suit. He was, he was, I just sat him, I saw him sitting at the booth. I'm like, Hey, Adi, uh, and the, it was Black Panther was like 2018. I'm like you designed the suit. Let's, let's go. Let's just go up and say, let me interview real quick. Because like people like oh like I don't even know that people knew who he was. You know, yeah. because he's just a a, a very a very humble, shy, yeah. lovely person. And um, uh, that was that was always a pleasure to be have the ability to radiate in uh, Stan's aura. Because very every single time it was the same, and he overdelivered. Um, you know, he he was just a gem of a human being. Um, 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 what, I, what I was going to tell you was um, the I, my interview at Toy Biz. Uh, I uh, I had been customizing action figures in college for the ladies. 
And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, so I, yeah. Was, who, who doesn't do that? Who doesn't know to impress a girl? Great yeah, way to so, impress people, or really boys. <laughs> like who would be? <laughs> so I brought all, and I so I had this interview with Toy Biz, and I'm and they were like, my friends were like, we got to bring all these. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll bring these in. So I brought these things in, and I kind of set them up. And like to get a job in the toy industry, like you can go to NYU. There's a toy program there. I didn't know that. I would have gone, you know, like I didn't know that they actually had like ways to learn how to make this stuff. And then I sell the stuff up and 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 then I'm waiting for the guy to come in and the creative director comes in. He goes, did you make these? And I said, yeah, did you you make all of them? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you're hired. (laughs) And I was like, that was it. That was my interview. That's amazing. That's a great job interview. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, that'd be so funny if you were. What if you were bad in every other way? Like, what if? Yeah. Like, well, that guy Jesse can't read. Well, he made good <laughs> toys. <laughs> um, he steals toys from people and says he invented. He made them. He's a liar. You should have spent two <laughs> seconds with him. Um. So, so if you were working then, did you get a chance to meet uh Kirby? Was he still? He was still alive. Kirby, Kirby died 90s. in the early ninety. He like ninety five or something. In 93, oh. he died, or 94. Oh, so that meant just after. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did not get a chance to meet him. Uh, Matt Steinrich, though, um, has some interesting stories about um, working with Steve Ditko because Ooh. he would have to go to uh, drop checks off for Steve. And um, uh, So first of all, should... that's the news. Steve Ditko did get checks? They would hand them to him. He just, I don't think he would cash them. <laughs> um, what a so... weirdo. Yeah, after after a while, like you know, Matt, you know, he would go to his apartment, and then you know, like he would just like open up the door a little bit, and then he'd hand the thing to him, and like this happened for for many weeks, and then and then one week, Mr. Ditko was like, "They're right there," and then he comes back, and he, just, and he comes back, and he the, out comes this little Ziploc bag with pretzels that he had like made for him. I was like, oh my God, that's so sweet. That's like, you got pretzels from Steve Ditko? That's incredible. That is so weird. So that is itself. so strange. <laughs> Steve Ditko made him pretzels? I couldn't have predicted that in 10 million years. His pretzels were yeah. angsty. <laughs> I would have, like, if that had happened to me, like, they would literally be on a frame. <laughs> I swear to God, that would be the coolest thing in the world. That, that is, is extremely so cool. That is so funny. Um, well, I think have, have we uh, yeah. covered it, Kevin? I feel like we have. Yeah, I mean, I think we should wrap up. Uh, yeah, let's do it for over an hour. Classic. We've, we've, uh, we've abused Jesse's time as we do all our guests. Guys, this was an absolute delight. Um, and oh, what for a us fun! Too. Not just uh, you know to to look at this incredible art again, and and just to think about how important this was, but like to see. My friends, it's so great. To see you guys. It really is. It's lovely to see you. Well, uh, I so, think the last time I saw you was the Albertsons. I had to pull my mask down and go, "Hey, it's me." It's yes, yes, cool. that's right, that's right. I think They're, that put I think that put this in my head. It's like, oh yeah, we got to get Jesse on the podcast because sometime before that, I saw you at Mustard Seed Cafe, yes. where I think you just walked up to me and said, "I hear you and your brother do a Spider Man podcast. I got to be on this." <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. I was like, "Yeah, you, yeah, you should be on it. That's true." <laughs> I think I saw you at a New York. I think you were in for New York Comic Con. Um, uh, probably not the last one because I don't know if I made it to that one, but the one before that I probably saw. That's ages ago now. But uh, yeah. I would, I never would have tickets, and I would just like ask people. I would just like post on Facebook, being like, if someone has a ticket they're not going to use one day, give it to me. I want to go. 
And I would always get a ticket that way. And I could go for like half a day, which is all I really wanted to be there. And I think yeah. I saw you one of those. I was like, I always swung by the Marvel booth to see you. Oh man, I have one of the craziest memories. And I, I, the only reason I can say this out loud is because I have a witness. John Gutierrez was with me. Okay. And we were walking. It was the Thursday evening, Wednesday evening of New York Comic-Con. And um, John Gutierrez, fellow UCB performer, friend of yes. ours, right? Yeah. Uh, who I got an email from today, oddly enough. Um, nice. And we're walking and there's a guy who's got a golden lab um, on like on a leash and the golden lab has a full Superman outfit on. Superman. Uh, and he's, he's kind of like at the crosswalks of like, you know, four booths and the dog like literally makes this move where he seizes up like his back locks. And it looks like somebody had a seven pound bucket of melted uh, peanut butter that was thrown out of the back of this dog. I mean, it had the most oh. explosive diarrhea I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And like, it's in the middle of this crosswalk. And when you're at Comic-Con, you don't look below your shoulders because there's all this visual, you know, yeah. information you're trying. And, and John and I were like, oh my God, we saw this happen. And then we just saw all these people walking through it and tracking yeah. it into people's booths. And we were like, oh my God, we got to stop people from walking <laughs> into this thing. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Um, and the guy who had the dog was like, oh my God. Like, he, of course, his dog is sick. He picks it up and runs right out of the place. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. Uh, bottom, <laughs> bottom line the story is anything can happen at comic book. Sure, sure. I can't think of a better story to wrap this up on than a dog shitting at Comic-Con. Uh, that's the story we... I didn't. We didn't say that when we brought you on. We were like, we got to get that dog shit. Uh, we, we walked you into it. We got it. So That's all we really wanted. Everything else was a ruse. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks so much, Jesse. Um, we'll see you around in real life, I bet. This was lovely, guys. Uh, be safe, be well, and uh, can't wait to see you in person. All right, that was our interview with Jesse. I, Kevin, I really enjoyed it. What do you think? Yeah, I didn't expect it to end uh, like that. It had an interesting ending. I didn't think the dog story was going to happen, but I'm yeah. glad it happened because that also was part of talking to Jesse is he's always yes. got these like sort of spectacular stories that just sort of fall out of him. Yeah, um, now that he's told it, I'm surprised he didn't open with that. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it was great. I really love Jesse. Jesse's a, a really, uh, such a nice guy. He really the positive is. energy on him. Uh, he highlights what grouches you and I are. It really it's makes us a, look bad. Yeah. yeah. It, um, it magnifies a, our curmudgeonness. Yeah. He's got a lot of genuine enthusiasm, kind of for anything. Yeah. He was always funny to watch improvise because he would just be full of passion Oh, and a little bit out of control yeah. in, a, in a fun way. Like he, he looked like he had a jetpack on that he couldn't turn the speed down on. Yeah. If he, if he made a good move, it would be explosively good. And if he made a bad move, it'd be explosively bad. Like just, there was it's no, powerful. yeah, there was no, he couldn't slow down and he was great. So we were really glad to get him on the podcast. Thank you, Jesse, for, 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 for coming on. And um, so if you want to write us email, we're not answering email right now in the guest episodes, but we might do a mailbag episode to catch up. I assume we will actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, so send us an email. We are screwitspidey at Gmail. Yeah. And we also have social media accounts. Screw It Comics is the name of it. It's on uh, Twitter. Screw It Comics on Twitter and Screw It Comics on Instagram. I post images from the comics we talk about. So I'll be posting images from X-Men 128 uh, on there. And I also have a Screw It Recent and Screw It Spidey Instagram accounts. If you're a real fan, you already know what I'm talking about. If you don't, uh, you might not be interested. But uh, Screw It Comics. 
Yeah, and and send us email screwed Spidey, and we'll uh, we'll read it on a future episode. Yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, I don't know who's next week. Um, uh, there is another guest next week. Yeah, we're recording this of... out of order, so I don't know where it's happening. But yeah, I'm very confused. And check our social media if you want to know what issue we'll be covering, because we'll we'll put it there. Next issue, the looter. You don't want to miss it, Spider fans. <laughs> uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Screw it, screw it. Just about comics. This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.